the people to be enrolled by genealogies. Then I found the book of genealogy of those who came up first, in which I found the following record. These are the people of the province who came up from the captivity of the exiles whom Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, had carried away and who returned to Jerusalem and Judea, each in his city. And then it goes into a long list. Heavenly Father, continue to speak to us through your written word this morning. May we listen with an open mind and an open heart. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Making it count. Have you ever struggled with feeling that your life is maybe not all worthwhile? There's not, not, not excitement, perhaps lack meaning to your life. And I think that if we're all honest here this morning, we'll say, yeah, there are times when I struggle and what I'm doing isn't making any difference at all. What am I accomplishing? Does it really matter in life? In other words, how can I spend my life that it will count for something worthwhile, to have meaning? The correct answer to all those questions, by the way, is to spend our lives so that they count for God and His purposes. If we live our lives for God, then they will count for all eternity. We will pack eternity. And as we look at Nehemiah chapter 7 and look at the book as a whole, Chapter 1 through 3 describes the precautions Nehemiah took to protect the city from attack. And from 4 to chapter 73 looks forward to the reforms of the second half of the book by showing how Nehemiah went about repopulating the city so it would be safe, a vital center for national and spiritual life. By the way, I misspoke. That's verses 1 through 3 and verses 4 through 73. But look at chapter 7. We see in this chapter, to make our lives count for God, we must commit our lives to things that matter to God. And as I thought about that earlier this week, I thought about Colossians chapter 3, verse 1, 2, and 3 of Colossians chapter 3. It states, therefore, if you've been raised up with Christ, if you've been saved, that's a baptism, as you die to yourself and you're raised up with Christ, Keep seeking the things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind, be intent on things above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. As we walk our life here on earth, we need to be aware of where we're at, but also keep our minds focused where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. And as we look at the text, we consider these things that matter to God, keep our, things, keep our mind on things above. We see in verse 1 that worship matters to God. He said when the wall was rebuilt, he had installed or set up or hung the doors, the gatekeepers and the singers and the Levites were appointed. Now the gatekeepers were normally gored. Hold on a second, get my thoughts right. Guard the entrance into the temple. But due to the danger to the city, they are now placed around the city gates. And Nehemiah reinforced that with the singers and the Levites. Now they are used to working together because around the temple, that's what they would do. You had the, the gatekeepers, you have the singers and the Levites. 
See, rebuilding the wall was more to just security or able to let, let people live peaceful lives. The whole purpose of people in Jerusalem was to worship and serve God. Each person had their own specific role. The gatekeepers, the Levites, the singers, they had musicians. Everybody had a role to play, if you will. But it led to the same result. Worshiping and serving God. So as you sat here this morning, a little different. But we're still here to worship God. Worship is not to be passive, it's active. And remember that you are singing to an audience of one. Well, Tim, I can't sing. I find nowhere in Scripture that you must sing in tune. It says make a what? Joyful what? A joyful what? There you go. God loves to hear His redeemed people sing their praise. Psalm 95, verse 6. Come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our Maker. Or how about Psalm 107, verses 1 and 2. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for He is good. His loving kindness is everlasting. His patience, His mercy, His love. I love that word, loving kindness. And in verse 2, the first part of that verse, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Do we have any redeemed people in the house this morning? <laughs> Trying to, brother. You taught about glory. Come on now. <laughs> but worship matters. He loves to hear you sing His praises. I believe I shared this before. There was a song that came out years ago by Phillips, Craig, and Dean called His Favorite Song of All. And in the song, the lyrics talk about how the waves crashing sing a song to God. How the birds, everything in creation are singing praises to Him. How the angels in heaven are singing praises. But when that one lost soul comes to salvation, it's like God puts His hands up and goes, Shh, listen, that's mine. Like a holy hush in heaven. Worship. Matters to God. In verses 2 and 3, we see that godly character matters to God. Now, me and I knew to be an effective leader, he had to delegate, delegate responsibility to other competent men. Now, they had to have certain administrative, administrative skills, but the main requirement was godly character. Look who he points, Hanani and Hananiah. Now, Hananiah was his brother. He was the one that reported to Nehemiah the sad situation of Jerusalem back at the beginning of the book in Sosa. Now, Hananiah was appointed a military leader because, look what the text says. Look at there. He was a faithful man and feared God more than many. Boy, I wish that people said when I'm gone from this world that Tim was a faithful man and feared God more than many. Together they were charged not to open the city gates until the sun was hot and when they shut the, the gates to bolt them and stand guard. They were to appoint guards from residents of the city. Look what it says. Each at his post, each in front of his own house. He knew that people would fight for their families. But these godly character traits that Hananiah had, he was faithful Hananiah was a man you could depend upon. 
If he, he spoke the truth and if you ask him to do something and he promised to do it, he would do it. Faithfulness is a fruit of the Holy Spirit that he produces in you as you walk, as you live in dependence upon God. Fear God. I like what the NIV does here, that he feared God more than most men do. And it's a matter of degree. Some people fear God a lot. Some people don't have any fear of God. The fear of God, listen to me, the fear of God grows out of your knowledge of God. The more you know of God, the more you fear God. I'm not talking about a cowardly fear. I'm talking about a reverent fear. We've lost that in this country. We don't fear God. We don't fear much anything anymore. I'm going to do what I want. I have a right to do whatever makes me happy. We have nothing before God. You realize that God doesn't owe us one thing. Not one. It's only out of His mercy and love that He pours blessings upon us. Here's another trait. He posted guards, Nehemiah did. Gave careful instructions to these appointed leaders to keep watch, watchfulness. By the way, this is an all-comprehensive list of godly traits. But these are three things I see about this man, Hananiah, in the text. He was to be watchful and protected. And to trust God and also be watchful, those things do not go in opposition to each other. Jesus warns us to be alert. We are to be watchful for the spiritual dangers that Satan puts in front of us. I think about the text. The, the walls are in place. The gates are up. They could have kicked back and said, everything's taken care of. See, Nehemiah knew better. The enemy will still attack. In fact, a good enemy will attack you where you think you're the safest. Where do we think we're the safest? Where's the most safest place? Where's the place you want to go to when you're tired and you're worn out, you're at work, or you've been traveling? What do you say? I just want to go where? Home. And ladies and gentlemen, the enemy has attacked us in that place in this country. Look what's happened to the American home and the American family. It's been destroyed. Yes, home is a safe place, but we have to guard it. Look what he said in the text. Put a guard in front of his own house to guard it. Yes, the walls are there. Yes, the guards are there. Yes, the gates are in place, but be watchful. And from verses 4 to 73, we find out that people matter to God. Now, I cannot think about, help think about the Sunday school lesson this morning, brother, about this. People are important. Individuals are important to God. The names that you find from verses 4 on down, especially about verse 7 going, all the sons of this, the sons of that, it goes on a long, long list. Probably doesn't mean much to us. We don't know who these people were. But they're important to God. These were people, as you read the text, remember, these are people who had dreams and ambitions and all things that you experienced. They wanted a safe place for their family. They wanted to be able to worship God. They wanted to do all these things just like you and I. God knows His people by name and lists them all out. Isaiah chapter 43, verse 1, But now, thus says the Lord, your Creator, O Jacob, and he who forms you, O Israel, do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. Do not live in fear, dearly beloved. You belong to the living God. 
Look at Luke chapter 12, verse 6 and 7. Jesus speaking. Are not five sparrows sold for two cents? Yet not one of them is forgotten before God. Indeed, the very hairs of your head are numbered or lack thereof. I add that in, that's not in the text. Do not fear, Jesus said. You are more valuable than many sparrows. God has not forgotten about you. He knows you by name. Now, I've spent some time on airplanes flying. And when you're coming into any major city, you fly over some residential areas, and there you see all these houses, little piles of stuff, really, what a house is. If you didn't have so much stuff, you wouldn't need a house. You could walk around all the time. But we have these houses. And as I was flying in one night, I thought, God knows who's in that home. He knows the parents, the children. He knows every situation. He knows their names. And He loves them as much as He loves me. And my mind almost exploded. God has all that knowledge. He knows you by name. Families are important to God. Look at the list. Sons of or descendants of. It reminded me that the church is built upon families. In the text in the New Testament, you see the family being the model to do discipleship with. And when the family is strong, the church is strong. It's no wonder why the enemy has attacked families. May I even say this? Families are the primary building block of any society. Our families have been destroyed. Men are important to God. The list is made up of men. Now, I'm not saying, ladies, that you're not important to God. Women are important to God. Well, you had a perfect opportunity right there, but you lost it. <laughs> All right? But God has entrusted the leadership of the family and the church to men. Women should not have to take on our responsibilities, men. We need or we must be obedient to God in how we lead our families. And may I take you back to the very beginning of the Bible, Genesis chapter 3. You know what Genesis chapter 3 is? The fall of man. Now you hear a lot of jokes about this verse, but let me just point out the obvious. Eve's in the garden, and God had told them, everything in this garden is yours. You can eat what you want, but do not partake of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Well, Satan shows up on the scene, form of a serpent, and tempts Eve. How good it is. God doesn't want you to eat it because you'll be like him. He tempts her and she eats it. And then the text says, she gave also to her husband with her, and he ate. Gentlemen, he should have stopped her right then and there, but he didn't. He saw the whole thing go down in front of him. He was right there, the text says. Eve, do not do that. Remember what God told us? No, he ate it. We have a bad habit, gentlemen, of passing the buck. It's not my fault. It's their fault. It's my parents' fault. It's my kids' fault. It's the president's fault. It's Congress's fault. I'm going to say it once. I'll say it again. We have to take personal responsibility and accountability. People. People are important. 
And yes, we track numbers in the church attendance-wise. Those numbers represent a person. May we never forget that each of us in this room have our own baggage, our own struggles, our own things that we're going through. We never know what someone's dealing with. That's why we are commanded to love our brothers and sisters in Christ. In verse 5, we see that your place in God's family history matters to God. He says that God put in His heart to start this genealogy list to roll the people in this. And if you're a Christian, you belong to the family of God. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 19 and 20. Listen, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints. In the Greek, that word is hagios, holy ones, and are of God's household. That's right. If you're a Christian, you belong to the family. Look around you. Most of you in here I know are Christians and believers. No, seriously, look around. Get used to one another. We'll spend all eternity with each other, praising God. Having been built upon, have been built on the foundation of the apostle and prophets, Christ Jesus being the cornerstone. What he's talking about, at every stone building back then, there was a cornerstone that squared up the building, made sure everything was square, and all the weight of that building was on that cornerstone. So Jesus is the cornerstone on which the apostle and the prophets built upon and declared to us. He is our cornerstone. You matter to God. He doesn't just save you and say, okay, you're on your own now. No, He gathers you into the family. He puts brothers and sisters around you who will walk with you, talk with you. You ever wonder why we do Bible study in age groups? Well, obvious reasons. Some, uh, usually a child can't grab intangible concepts or stuff like that. We have to put it in language they understand. But it's more than that. It's about you put people together going through life's journey about the same time. And as we go through those life journeys, we can share experiences. Many of you helped Tammy and I go through some things we're going through even now. Because you've been down that road. And you shared with us how God helped you through those circumstances. This building, we call it the church. This is where people of God meet, but it's not the church. It's just the building. You're the church. The temple of God lives inside you, in your heart. That's where your praise comes from. The temple of your temple, God, in your heart. Let those praises come from the inside your heart, as you said. What did you say? Bear down on it, or bear down on it, let it go. Now, in verse six and verse seventy-three, we see that your commitment matters to God. Verse six: the people of the province who came up from the captivity of the exiles whom Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, had carried away, and who returns to Jerusalem and Judah, each to the city. And then in verse 73, now the priests, the Levites, the gatekeepers, the singers, some of the people of, and all of Israel lived in their cities. All these people left Babylon, come back. Now, they didn't have buses or cars or mass transit or airplanes. They had to walk hundreds of miles across hostile territory to get back to Jerusalem. It'd been easy for them to kick back and say, you know what? I ain't going to go. And we even see that in Ezra and Nehemiah both. There are some who didn't want to go. It'd be too hard. Why do I want to go to Jerusalem, a place that has fallen down, that's been devastated by war? 
Yeah, we're in captivity here, but no, we're living pretty good. No one bothers us. We don't say anything. We just do our no one bothers us. Let's just stay here. But they knew God's promise to their forefather, who was Abraham, that his God, God's name, would dwell in the temple of the city to be a, to be a glory to the nations. They understood and committed themselves to God's purpose in spite of the hassle and hardships that it involved and all the opposition that came from uh, without and within the city. But still they made that journey. Hmm. The things that matter to God. Do they matter to you? I mean, God's purpose is to be glorified among the nations by calling, him, by calling to Himself a people redeemed by His Son, Jesus Christ. And if you know Christ, He has given you a spiritual gift or spiritual gifts, plural, material resources, opportunities to be used to glorify Him and further His purpose. See, to make your life worthwhile, to have that meaning that we're all searching for, we commit ourselves to the things that matter to God. Worship. Godly character, people, your place in His family, your commitment to Him. Devote yourself to His purpose for your life. That's where true meaning is. And when you do that, you're building something that will last for all eternity. This is something that the world promises every day but cannot deliver. Buy this product. It will make you so happy a month later. No, forget that. Now we made it new and improved. Jesus is the answer everybody's looking for. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 14. For the love of Christ controls us. And that word control in NIV and the Holman Christian Standard Translation, compel. The love of Christ compels us. The Greek word means to urge or force a person into action. The New English translation leaves us no choice. Christ's love expressed in His death is a controlling factor in Paul's life. The love of Christ keeps Paul from living for himself and instead causes him to pour out his life for others. The love of Christ compels us. Tim, why do you do what you do? The love of Christ compels me. What choice do I have? I know sometimes I may seem like a cop-out, but I remember when I was called to ministry. First Baptist Sunset right down the road. I was doing youth ministry at that time. And uh, the, the pastor stepped down for medical reasons, and I was filling the pulpit. Yeah, I was enjoying that. But then reality hit one day. I got up and preached in view of a call and all that. Felt pretty good about it. Went out back, and they took the, you know, took the vote, and I come back in. And then Jeff Jackson looked at me and said these words. You have anonymously been confirmed that you're going to be our next pastor. What? You want to answer us now, or do you, would you like to pray and get back with us in a week? And in that moment, I realized one thing. It's like God was speaking to me, saying, use sports analogy, 
It's bottom of the ninth. There's a full count. You're at the plate. Son, what are you going to do? What else could I say but yes? In light of everything that Christ has done for me, how could I tell him no? And here I am today. I still struggle, get tongue-tied, as you can tell. But how can I do anything else in light of what God has done for me? Let's read the rest of that verse, by the way. The love of Christ compels us, having concluded this, that one died for all, therefore all died, and he died for all, so they who might live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. That's how you live a life that counts for God and impacts eternity right there. Go back to our text. They made their lives count. Just think about them. They lived thousands of years ago and yet we have their names recorded in Scripture and what they did. I wonder how they respond to that. Did they have problems? Yes. They doubt. I'm sure they did. It wasn't easy. But they kept going. Look at the story. Reflect back. The Bible does not hold anything back about talking the situation that they were in and how difficult. Some of them didn't want to do it. And the enemy was still trying to keep them from working. And that was the easy thing to do. Just throw in the towel and say, that's it. It's not worth it. But they kept going. Nehemiah could have said, that's it. I'm done. I've had enough. But he kept going. Because what mattered to God mattered to him and mattered to the people. Were they perfect in doing it? No, none of us are. But what keeps us going, when we fall down, we confess, we repent, ask for forgiveness, and brothers and sisters in Christ gather around us and say, come on, let's keep going. That's why coming to church in person, excuse me, coming to church, gathering together in person is so important. To see face to face of people who are going through life and struggles just like you are who will encourage you, who will pray for you, who will weep with you, cry with you, and times laugh with you. Doing life together. See, the enemy wants you to quit. We talked about that two weeks ago. He wants you to quit and just give up. He would like this church just to fold its doors up and say, see you later, goodbye. We can't do that. Because you have demonstrated to me that things that matter to God matter to you. Many of you making sacrifices every single day to reach kids that do not belong to you. To do things in the community, to reach out to the lost. I see that. I see you rally around people who lost loved ones. I see you rally around people who need financial help. And the list goes on and on and on and on. It shows me that things that matter to God matter to you. And I want to encourage you to keep going, to keep pressing on.
Perhaps you've never given your life to Christ. You will chase everything the world has to offer, but you'll never find it. You need to let go of your pride and say, you know what? I'm tired. I can't continue to do this, Lord. Here I am. Don't wait. To, you cannot become good enough. Just come as you are. Let Him do the work. He'll clean you up. He'll meet you exactly where you're at. You'll become one of His. You'll become part of the family. Is this church perfect? No. Like I told you before, if it was, and then they call me as pastor, they're the one out the window. But you will find some people who truly love God, who truly seek Him out to serve Him. You and I will find a more sympathetic and loving people right here and right now. If you come, no one's going to laugh at you, make fun of you, will come beside you and pray with you. Perhaps you're looking for a place to serve. We serve God through the local body. Local body known here as Forestburg Baptist Church. Is He calling you here to say, yes, I'm going to serve God through this body? God's given you a gift or gifts. I know a lot of you in this room are prayer warriors. I know that for a fact. Seen it. Been a receiving person of those prayers. Some of you have the gift to teach. Some of you have the gift of, of mercy and love. And the list goes on and on and on. Each of us in this room have different responsibilities. But it all leads to the same ultimate goal. To worship and serve God. And declare the gospel to a lost and dying world and to build His kingdom. What is God calling you today? What is He asking of you today? Your relationship with God is never to be static. It's always God telling you, come on one more step. Come on one more step. This is like you did when, a, when your child was learning to walk. Come on, one more step. And over time, you'll look back and see how far God has brought you. That builds confidence because you know, if God took me care of back then, He'll take care of me now and in the future. What a story. God's people who are outnumbered. People surrounded them, trying to stop them. And yet, what mattered to God mattered them and they pressed on. Because God honored that. What are you going to do with your life? What matters to you? And I'll say this and we'll have a prayer. If something is really important to you, you will find the time and make it part of your schedule and part of your life if it really matters to you. You matter so much to God, He wasn't going to let you die in your sin and your guilt and your shame. No, I'm going to send my son. Even though not everybody will come to him, I'm still going to send my son because I love you too much to watch you die and to spend all eternity without me. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the day. We thank you for your word. We thank you for 
reading about how you dealt with your people so long ago through all the circumstances and difficult situations they found themselves in. Father, you never turned your back on them. You kept walking with them. And I know here today there's many of us, perhaps a lot of us who are in that path right now that it's getting difficult. It would be easy for us just to quit and walk away. Father, do not let that happen. Let these people know how much you love them, how much you matter to them. And for the rest of us, what matters to you, let it be said those same things matter to us. And then we take the time, the energy, the effort to pursue those things with the same sense of urgency and love that you had when you pursued us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Would you stand with me, please?